Section 28 of At the Point of the Bayonet, A Tale of the Maratha War, by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. At the Point of the Bayonet, A Tale of the Maratha War. Chapter 13 the break-up of the monsoon part two all on board were glad when the news that they were to sail for calcutta the next morning was circulated through the ship to the crew the voyage had been a monotonous one the weather having been uniformly fine since they started and they had had no adventures such as they had hoped for with hostile natives nothing was talked of that night between decks but harry's story which had been told by lieutenant hardy to the midshipmen who had retailed it to the petty officers and it had rapidly spread abdul and the interpreter were made as much of as was possible considering that neither could understand english and deep were the expressions of regret that none of the sailors had taken part in so tough a fight by the time the sun was up next morning the vessel was under way and with light breezes sailed round singapore and then headed northwest the winds as before were light and as the northeast monsoon was still blowing the rate of progress was slow i wish we could have got into the hooley fairclough said as he walked impatiently up and down the quarter-deck before the monsoon broke but i don't see much chance of it it generally changes about the middle of april and we are well on in the first week now at the rate of which we are sailing we shall take at least three weeks before we get there you see we are only just clear of the northern point of sumatra and it is already a month since we got up anchor but we shall have the wind almost behind us fairclough yes when it has settled down it is the change that i do not like of course sometimes we have only a few days of moderately rough weather but occasionally there is a hurricane at the break-up and a hurricane in the bay of bengal is no joke i shall not mind much if we get fairly past the andamans for from there to the mouth of the hooley it is open water and i should be under no uneasiness as to the brig battling her way through it but to be caught in a hurricane with these patches of islands and rocks in the neighbourhood would to say the least be awkward are there any ports among the islands i recollect hearing an officer say that there was a settlement made there some years ago that was so in seventeen ninety one an establishment was started in the southern part of the island and two years later it was moved to a harbour on the north-west side of the bay it was called port cornwallis but was abandoned in seventeen ninety six being found terribly unhealthy it was a pity for it afforded good shelter when the northeast monsoon was blowing and partially so from the southwest monsoon no doubt it could have been made more healthy if the country round had been well cleared but it was not found to be of sufficient utility to warrant a large outlay and the natives are so bitterly unfriendly that it would require a garrison of two or three hundred men to overawe them we should have always been losing life not from open attacks perhaps but from their habit of crawling up and shooting men down with their arrows a week later there were some seventy or eighty miles to the west of the andaman group directly the brig weathered the northernmost point of sumatra the course had been laid more to the west so as to avoid the dangerous inside passage when harry went on deck in the morning he found that the wind had dropped altogether there is an end of the monsoon fairclough said i am just going to shorten sail there is no saying which way the wind will come the glass is falling fast but of course 
that is only to be expected i think if you are wise after breakfast you will take off that drill suit and get into something better calculated to stand rough weather for that we are sure to have and any amount of rain that is always the case at the changes of the monsoon you see it is a sort of battle between the two winds the south-westerly will gain in the end but the other will die hard and it is this struggle that causes the circular storms which when they are serious are called hurricanes though at ordinary times they are simply called the break-up of the monsoon which generally causes bad weather all over the indian ocean towards evening low banks of clouds were seen to the south and the sky looked dim and misty in the opposite direction they are mustering their forces you see lindsay and the glass has fallen so far that i fancy the fight will be a hot one at any rate we will make all snug for the night sail after sail was taken in until only a storm jib a small fore stay sail and a close reefed main topsail were left standing the bank of cloud to the south had risen considerably and when darkness closed in the upper edge was lit up by the almost incessant flicker of lightning the upper spars were sent down on deck and then there being nothing more to be done the crew who had all donned rough weather clothes awaited the outburst that it would be more than ordinarily severe there could be no doubt and the men clustered in little groups by the bulwarks talked in low tones as they watched the slowly approaching storm from the south with occasional glances northwards where indeed no clouds could be seen but the sky was frequently lit up by the reflections of lightning below the horizon what do you think of it harry asked the interpreter i do not like it the malay replied i think that there will be a great hurricane i have seen many changes of the monsoon but never one that looked so threatening as this it does look bad harry said though as i have never been at sea before at the change of the monsoon i am no judge at all but it certainly looks as if we're in for a bad gale at any rate we shall be safer here than we were in the hut in the mountains the malay made no reply for some time then he said yes sahib but there was something to do there directly we got in you began to prepare for an escape it was not certain that we should succeed they might have come in and killed us before you were ready but as we were busy we had not much time to think of the danger here we can do nothing no but as you see everything has already been done you and i have not been working but the sailors have been busy in taking off sail and getting down all the upper spars we are ready for the worst now just as we were when we had opened the passage for our escape and we felt fairly confident although we might meet with many dangers we had a good chance of getting safely away there are the danger signals lindsay the captain said as a pale light suddenly shone out above looking up harry saw a ball of fire on the main masthead presently this seemed to roll down the mast till it reached the top sail yard then it broke into two and these rolled out until they remained stationary one at each end of the yard harry had never seen this phenomenon before what is it he asked fairclough in an awed voice they are often seen before the outburst of a severe tempest of course they look like balls of phosphorus but in reality they are electric and are a sign that the whole atmosphere is charged with electricity sailors have all sorts of superstitions about them but of course excepting that they are signs of the condition of the air they are perfectly harmless he raised his voice don't stand near the foot of the mast lads keep well away from them there is nothing to be afraid of in those lights but if we happen to be struck by lightning and it ran down the mast some of you might be knocked over 
I don't know why, he continued to Harry, the first flash of lightning at the beginning of a storm is always the most dangerous. I can't account for it in any way, but there is no question as to the fact. I always feel relieved when the first clap of thunder is over, for I know then that we are comparatively safe from danger in that way. Gradually the stars disappeared. Mr. Hardy, the captain said to the lieutenant, who was standing near, will you go down to my cabin and see how the glass stands? Harry did not hear the answer when Hardy returned, but Fairclough said to him, It has gone down another quarter of an inch since I looked at it half an hour ago, and it was as low then as I have ever seen it. Mr. Hardy, you had better send the men aloft, and furl the main topsail altogether, and run down the fore staysail. We can get it up again as soon as the first burst is over. Put four men at the wheel. There was still no breath of wind stirring. The staysail was run down, but the men hung back from ascending the shrouds of the mainmast. They were afraid of those lights, Fairclough said, but I do not think there is the slightest danger from them. I will go up myself, sir, Hardy said, and he ran up the starboard shrouds, while at the same moment one of the midshipmen led the way on the port side. The sailors at once followed their officers. The latter had nearly reached the yard, when the two balls of fire began to roll along it, joined in the centre, and then slowly ascended the topmast. The fireballs paused there for half a minute and then vanished. Now, Eden, the lieutenant said, let us get the work done at once before that fellow makes his appearance again. The men followed them out on the yard and worked in desperate haste with occasional glances up at the masthead. In a couple of minutes the cell was firmly secured in its gaskets and all made their way below. Thank goodness, here it comes at last, Fairclough said. The suspense is more trying than the gale itself. A low murmur was heard, and a faint pale light was soon visible to the south. Get ready to hold on all, he shouted to the men. The sound momentarily increased in volume, and the distant light brightened until a long line of white foam was clearly discernible. It approached with extraordinary speed. There was a sudden puff of air. It lasted but a few seconds and then died away. Hold on, the captain again shouted. Half a minute later, with a tremendous roar, the wind struck the brig. Knowing which way it would come, Fairclough had, half an hour before, lowered a boat and brought the vessel's head round so that it pointed north. The boat had then been hoisted up. In the interval of waiting, the ship's head had slightly drifted round again, and the wind struck her on the quarter. So great was the pressure that she heeled far over, burying her bows so deeply that it seemed as if she were going to dive head foremost. The water swept over the bulwarks in torrents, and extended almost up to the foot of the foremast. Then very slowly, as she gathered way, the bow lifted. In a minute, she was scudding fast before the gale, gathering speed every moment, from the pressure of the wind upon her masts and hull, and from the fragment of sail shown forward. At present there were no waves, the surface of the water seeming pressed almost flat by the weight of the wind. Then there was a deafening crash, and a blaze of light, the foretop mass was riven in fragments, but none of these fell on the deck, the wind carrying them far behind. You had better make your way forward, Mr. Hardy, Fairclough shouted into the lieutenant's ear, and see if anyone is hurt. Fortunately, the precaution which had been taken of ordering the men away from the mast had prevented any loss of life, but several of the men were temporarily blinded. Three or four had been struck to the deck by the passage of the electric fluid close to them, but these presently regained their feet. Hardy returned and reported to the captain. You had better send the carpenter down to see that there is no fire below. In a minute, the man ran up, 
with the news that he believed the foot of the mast was on fire mr hardy went to a group of men get some buckets my lads he said quietly and make your way down to the hold i will go with you as was to be expected the lightning has fired the foot of the mast but there is no cause for alarm as we have discovered it so soon we shall not be long in getting it under the men at once filled the fire buckets and led by mr hardy went below as soon as the hatchway leading to the hold was lifted a volume of smoke poured up wait a minute till it has cleared off a little the lieutenant said and then to the midshipman who had accompanied him go to the captain and tell him that there is more smoke than i like and ask him to come below tell him i think the pumps had better be rigged and the hose passed down fairclough who was accompanied by harry joined him just as he was about to descend the ladder i will go down with you mr hardy he said mr eden will you go up and send down all hands except those at the wheel set a strong gang to rig the pumps and pass the hose down he and the lieutenant then made their way along the hold the smoke was very thick and it was only by stooping low that they could get along they could see however a glow of light ahead we can do nothing with this the captain said beyond trying to keep it from spreading until we have shifted all these stores the gang with buckets had better come down empty them on the pile and then set to work to clear the stuff away as quickly as possible the men who came along gradually and with difficulty began to remove the barrels coils of rope and spare sails stowed there several of them were overpowered by the smoke and had to be carried up again and others came down and took their places in three or four minutes the hose was passed down and the clank of the pumps could be heard mr hardy took the nozzle and while the men now a strong party worked at the stores directed a stream of water upon the flames for a time the effort seemed to make no impression and the steam added to the difficulty of working another gang of men was set to work forward of the mast and after half an hour's labour the stores were so far removed that the hose could be brought to play upon the burning mass at the foot of the mast the lieutenant had been relieved by harry and he by the two midshipmen in succession changes were frequent and in another quarter of an hour it was evident that the flames were well under control the men engaged below relieved those at the pumps and in an hour from the first outbreak all danger was over though pumping was kept up for some time longer the captain made frequent visits to the deck the vessel was still running before the wind and the sea had got up the motion of the ship was becoming more and more violent but as there was nothing to be done the men below were not disturbed at their work and this was continued until smoke no longer ascended end of section twenty eight